Oh, hands down. Yeah, no, absolutely. We um we discovered that uh, that Simon is good at three things. He's good at uh, sports knowledge, finance knowledge, and finding random things on Twitter. There you go, sports knowledge, Mike. I'm a guy. Got to play to your strengths, you know. Absolutely, man. Exactly. I'm the uh, I'm the sex appeal of the show. So that's that's all I got. Kieran brings the, <laughs> the ladies. Yeah, and men. <laughs> the, the ladies. Well, you know, funny enough, my um, you know, you know, you when you when you're young and you're you're single and you're out there and you're 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 confident and you, you bestow these nicknames upon yourself. My uh, I used to introduce myself as the sexy beast of the southeast. It uh, didn't go well. Hello again, friends, and you are our friends, and welcome along to another edition of the magical audio experience that is reeling in your ears. Here we are now, all the lads, uh, to join me on this journey as always. Who's the cat that would risk his neck for his brother man? Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? It's Simon Chadwick. Hey, Karen, how are you getting on? All good. So this week I went with Shaft. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've, I've I never, like it. Never seen Shaft, Wrong. but uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm no. A, I think we all just know the tune from. Uh, was it The Simpsons that we know the tune from? Yeah, probably. Yeah, That's I where th- we know most things from. Exactly. There you go. It's it's pretty much a solid Simpsons reference. Plus, the guy who sang the song, Isaac Hayes, did the voice of Chef in South Park. Exactly. Um, so so it, it wouldn't have gone down so well if I'd introduced you. You know, put your name there in the lyrics of "Suck on My Chocolate Salty Balls." That his other known well it would all have been in the delivery really but look we've got a few more episodes left so (laughs) there's still time there's plenty more Isaac Hayes songs in the sea Um, (laughs) so uh, Simon as always tell us who do we have this week well tonight Kieran we have a returning hero Uh, one of our if not the very first guest on the show it's uh, it's stand-up comedian and host of Facebook chat show it's Alex Jayburn welcome back well, guys, thank you very much for having me. And you are correct, sir. I was, in fact, the very first guest on this fine show, and I am delighted to be back. Absolutely. Re- return of the Mac, as, as they say, as the kids say. Um, yes, absolutely. Great to have you back. As you said, you were the first guest on the show. So I suppose that's my cue to tell our listeners that as we continue on, we're now at the year 2002. Um, we are uh, barreling down, you know, the gun. Or, is that even an expression? I don't know. Staring down the barrel of the gun, I guess, of the end of our run. So we're going to invite some previous guests back for some general merriment and banter. Um, and we'll kick off today's show. So before we do, bear in mind that if you want to keep up what exactly we are doing in this weird world of ours uh, you can follow us on twitter at r-i-y-e podcast um so this year a beetle in 2002 yes indeed back where we started really um we see the wedding of paul mccartney and heather mills as they say <laughs> thank you to the well-wishers they choose of all places county monaghan to tie the knot because you know why was new ross booked up or i think that must have been it i think i it's 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 like Nostalgia layered nostalgia. Not only are we uh, looking back again at another year, we've, we've got Alex back in the hot seat, at the, the nostalgia of those early episodes of this po- podcast. And now we're seeing Paul McCartney getting married again. Yes. Because uh, we saw him get married in 1969 episode. Uh, I believe also kicking off that episode uh, when he got married to Linda Eastman. Uh, but by 2002, she had sadly passed away. And uh, he mm. had shacked up with uh, Heather Mills. Interesting fact, uh, at the time of Paul McCartney's first marriage, Heather Mills, less than a year old. Oh. When you put it I like thought that, that was... Uh... I got to say, coming back from 19, because the last episode I was on with you folks was 1963. So I was sitting down, you know, I'd watched 62, I'd watched 63. I was like, let's see what fresh new things we have on the show after 40 years. I turned it on, I was like, it, it, it's the same show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's literally the same show. In color. He was in the last episode. 
Yeah, we have. In fairness, we haven't seen Maca now in a long time. No, but, in, uh, in a long, long time. But, but, but he, here he is. 40 years for me. Yeah, when he came out, he had like a bit of a painting in his hands, and I was like, oh, I'd love if that was like, you know, the Marge Simpson painting of Ringo Starr or something that he had in his hand. You know, I hung it on me wall. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, I do find it hilarious though that like you know, uh, like Paul McCartney was like, yeah, we, you know, just want to say thank you to all the well wishes, and you know, he's kind of a bit of a posh-ish accent and then Heather Mills is like yeah I just want to say thank you and uh, it's like Stevie G on helium <laughs> very thick Scouser accent um, I was half expecting her just to turn to the crowd and just go yeah of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> calm down, calm down. Um, and uh, this, of course, is also the year we get the euro formally introduced as 12 countries adopt the new currency, which led to mm. huge confusion in lots of places. Why is my money blue? Um, I remember giving out stink. Well, not me personally giving out stink, but I remember a lot of people were giving out stink about the copper coins because if you held them in your hand mm. too long at the post office, your hand smelt like rank um I, I god i remember so vividly the euro and and the introduction of that and those little tiny blue and yellow cal- uh, calculators that they sent out to everybody's house yeah yeah and, and do you remember how small those coins seemed because all the euro money was just slightly smaller than the old irish punts that you were used to oh yeah um and mm. i just remember that one cent particularly feeling uh like seeming so small um obviously i haven't seen a one cent coin in like i don't know four years but i'm sure they still exist Oh yeah, they uh, they took them out you, of circulation. Do you remember what came out at the time as well? Because I had one of these when it first came out. I remember the changeover. I actually still have it somewhere in the house. Um, remember you had the Euro collector. You had like the big like it folded open and it was like you know oh, the yeah. big like list of all the different coins from all the different countries. And like you you tried to collect them. Remember you had like all the coins across. Yeah. Like, and you basically took out the little cardboard bit and put the actual coin in. God, now that brings me back. Jesus, that's that's somewhere in the press with the Millennium Candle. That's a, uh, oof. Mm, now that's, that, yeah. that is a nostalgia trip right there. Fucking hell. I didn't, haven't thought about that in a long time. I definitely still have somewhere the the, the little uh, calculator, which, you know, going by inflation is well defunct by now. <laughs> you get, I'm sure I could still uh, bust it out when I'm counting the cash and work. But no, they took the ones and twos out of circulation, I want to say around 2015. And I was working in a shop at the time uh, when this came into effect. And they were, they told us, you have to ask every customer if they would like their, you know, their change. So if you bought something that was $1.99, I had to go, would you like your change? And because this wasn't like massive, massive news and everybody was talking about it, people were like, uh, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's one cent, but, but there you go. But it's my one cent. That's it. That's it. My one. Mine. It's mine. Proceeds to walk out into his brand new beamer. <laughs> how the, how, how do you think he afforded it? You know, you got to keep those one cent coins. Yeah. And uh, Ireland also passes. It was actually news. funny. Uh, so, sorry, I was going to say it's actually funny as well. You, you definitely got some people there who like completely misread that statement. Like you had people like on the north side of Dublin saw a headline: "There's going to be no more coppers around." That's going to be great, lads. Let's go. Uh. <laughs> freedom for all um, <laughs> and uh, Ireland also passes the Nice Treaty on the second attempt because when in doubt repeat referendum um, and Pat Cox is elected <laughs> president of the European Parliament as he throws the headphones down like a 12 year old who just lost a game of FIFA he was wicked yeah. excited to be getting shipped off he was hugging everyone he was <laughs> having a great time hugging he everyone great time. Um, he That's was just good. everyone who came near him was getting a big old, a big old hug um, mm. Uh, can we also talk about how hilarious his name is? Thank That's you. I, that was going to be my point. I was like, I, don't I know I'm an adult, right? 
31, 32 year old man, uh, you know, shouldn't shouldn't find that name amusing. But every time Pat Cox <laughs> comes up, I just, I just <laughs> as soon as it popped up, the only question that came to my head was Pat Cox, do you? <laughs> like if they're in the European Parliament like I mean okay so I know the guy in there now at the moment Donald Tusk right which sounds like somebody draws a parody of Donald Trump on a walrus right that's what you get <laughs> Donald Tusk right and you know like just some of the, the random you know names that aren't funny to the people who you know like like Michel for a guy in France is normal over here it's like way Shelley mm. but uh, you know if you go over to the European Parliament and you know oh no, up next uh, Pat Cox you, you just know the European Parliament there was lots of snickers oh yeah like because I had like literally down on my notes and I was like oh, should I address this should I say no but as soon as I saw the name I was like my god <laughs> <laughs> So it's a great name to, uh, or like what's brilliant is he'll probably say on his nameplate backwards too. So we just say Cox, comma, Pat. Um, and uh, Europe win the Ryder Cup as well as Paul McGinley puts a small ball into a small hole to win the thing. Yes. I don't golf, but go team. I'm not really I'm sure, sure that that will be, uh, I'm sure that that will be, whatever though, the biggest story we see involved in an Irish sportsman in this episode. Oh, has, hands down. There's, it can only go up from here. Um, and uh, we also get a levy on plastic bags this year, as one man, Tom Prenderville, uh, tells us it could take 500 years for a plastic bag to degrade in the environment. So it looks like the rubber bandits are practically eternal. Um, so <laughs> 15 cent a bag. Jesus, mm. uproar. Uh, one woman thinks it's hilarious because her house is jammers of plastic bag. Then it <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. That's what, that's what I said. It, <laughs> uh, it definitely defeats the purpose, but I just loved how, like, she was giggling like she just kind of got away with something. And she was like, I've been saving them for months. I've been so clever here. And I'm never going to pay 15 cents. I'm like, not really the point. And you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. She's going to go to the shop in a couple of in a month's time. She's going to get out of the car and go, fuck, I forgot the bags. And she's going to buy a bag for life anyway, because that's what happens all the time. <laughs> Yeah. I just pictured her like having a monologue like she's sitting in the house surrounded by plastic bags like they said I was crazy they said it would never work but who's laughing now <laughs> sort of like villain origin act but there was one thing that kind of stood out there was uh, one line that a woman said uh, just before her uh, sorry sorry, it wasn't a woman it was the guy it was the guy who was in charge of it. he was like there was big important interview and he was like oh well you know one bag is used for 15 minutes I was like mate get me to that gaff party right now <laughs> <laughs> like a serious time. One bag, fifteen minutes. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think the man in the corduroy jacket over the orange jumper was necessarily talking about that kind of bag, Alex. I, something about him tells me he maybe. I just love. He, he might frown upon that. that. Like that. one bag is used for fifteen minutes. Who comes up with this stat? Do you follow someone around going for one of these three shoppers? What's the average bag use time? <laughs> it was work today, honey. Very interesting. Yeah, I followed some random fellas with plastic bags. It turns out they only use it for 15 minutes. Look, friends uh, of the earth have to spend their time doing something. Well, that's true. That's true. They can only drive then they, around. Then they have an argument because he says to his wife, then they have an argument because he says to his wife, he's like, oh, 15 minutes is a long time. He's just like, oh, you would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> in the bag. <laughs> and uh, you get through three bags in that time. You could. <laughs> Uh, and we also see a samurai being bestowed his gear and katana as he prepares to do but oh it's just Raikin uh, how oh, he man. ever agreed to do this ad is beyond me yeah. uh, like, for a guy who's so serious like Raikin you see him on the telly now and he's giving out about stuff and he's so he's got this like serious 
you know, persona, and obviously he was a very highly strung guy. He did some wacky ads because there, there's an ad doing the rounds um, from like the mid 2000s for Walkers. Remember Gary Lineker did the yeah. Walkers, Chris? Yeah, Jack, yeah, like, yeah. He did one in Dublin uh, where he was like over attending the Paddy's Day Parade and he was getting chased by a guy in a leprechaun costume. And it oh. turns out, spoiler alert, the guy in the leprechaun costume was Roy Keane. That's like you look at these ads and you go, How did somebody convince Roy Keane to do this? Yeah, but we can only assume he's been paid an obscene amount of money. I mean, Aircon must have found this money from the director's bonus pots <laughs> from a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> this, yeah, this, I, that's this when, was when, the this was the budget for Saipan. Yeah, when the uh, when the text the, the narrator came up and said Aircom and Irish soccer, go further. I genuinely thought it was gonna say Aircom and Irish soccer, go fuck yourself, shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, McSh- Ray McSharry gave Roy Keane a million which was about a fifth of his bonus <laughs> yeah oh um, Joe as soon as that ad started and I saw the samurai like kneeling and like kind of being ordained my brain just went oh man imagine that with Roy Keane yeah and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't and, remember the ad but um, I couldn't believe it. and when I saw him that if you look at his face at the end I've never seen a man look more uncomfortable yeah, samurai garb is certainly not uh, not 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 Kino's usual attire. Um, but further go he did, uh, as we discussed the Saipan mm. issue. Uh, Keen quits the World Cup uh, and goes home after a row with Mick McCarthy over the pitch conditions. Let's uh, let's hypothesize for a moment. Uh, what do you think, like an impact, Roy Keane would have had had he stayed? Had he kind of just dealt with the pitch conditions, which he shouldn't have had to do anyway? But if everything mm. was going right. You know, how would he have gotten on? This is this is the great debate and one of the great unknowns of Irish sport mm. because mm. you can talk yourself into convincing yourself that Ireland, not gonna say could have won it, but you know, if you look at this World Cup, right, and we're gonna see the 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 goals and the games now in a minute, but like when you look at the World Cup in two thousand and two, uh, and you look at the semi finalists, so Ireland got knocked out in the round of sixteen on penalties, right, by Spain. But you look at the semi finalists. Mm-hmm. South Korea, okay, they were one of the two hosts, but an unknown, uh, had never made it out of the groups before. And Turkey, in what I think was their first World Cup, yeah. or certainly, you know, their first meaningful contribution to a World Cup. So, like, not big hitters. South Korea actually beat Spain very controversially, uh, with Spain having beaten us previously. Um, you know, Turkey only lost, Turkey lost to, um, I think, only Brazil in the tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And, you know, that you kind of look at it and go, had we had one of the best players in the world at that time and our driving force, because we spoke about it last week when we watched Ireland beat Holland, how important Roy Keane was to that team. Um, mm. Had we had him, you could very much convince yourself that Ireland could very easily have made the semi-finals. And I don't think you can really argue with that. I think they could have. You would need a bit of luck yeah. because there was a lot of luck going around. But in this World Cup, a lot of big names went home early. France were the holders, went out in the group stage. You had Italy go out early, controversially again. Um South Korea got a lot of favourable decisions in this World Cup, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yes, yes. Uh, it wouldn't be like FIFA to be corrupt, though, so I'm sure it was all legit. Um, <laughs> there was uh, there was uh, Argentina went out in the group stage, and um, there was another one that I've written down. Uh, oh, Portugal went out the group stage as well. So like some big some big countries mm. uh, weren't there. So we we could have filled that vacuum, I think. And you you feel like Roy Keane might have just dragged us over the line in that game against Spain. I think so, because, like, I mean, if you look at that Irish team, like, in my opinion, that was the last really great Irish team. Like, oh, you yeah. look at that team and go, man, that's a serious team. 
I think if you put Keno in there, who, you know, as well as been a driving force, like amazing player, he was one of the best midfielders in the world at the time as well. Like Roy Keane was unbelievable. Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, that game against Spain, like, again, you talk about, look, we were very unlucky. But I remember Ian Hart actually missed a penalty during that game. And then Robbie Keane scored a penalty. So, I mean, I fully believe it because I was sitting watching it again and I was like, man, if we had Roy Keane in this thing, I reckon, yeah, I think we could have at least made the semifinals. And you talk about a fact there that, you know, the only team the Turkey lost in the World Cup was Brazil. Well, another fun fact about that term, the only two men to score against Oliver Kahn in that tournament were Ronaldo and Robbie Kane. Wow, that's a that's an incredible that's stat, actually. Because Oliver Kahn was like just one was... of the greatest goalkeepers in the world. Yeah, and player of the tournament. Yeah. Yes. And a scary looking dude. So like... I think that, like, you know, we obviously look at Italian 90 and it was phenomenal, it was crazy, but I don't know. I, I get the feeling that if Keno stayed around, that could have been just as big, if not bigger. I think we could have, to your point there, man, at least have made the semis because there wasn't the competition wasn't that great. You're right. Yeah, no competition. When you put it that way, with all the teams that crashed out, who else would have made? You know, who else made it to the the, the semis? You know, with your Koreas and your Turkeys. I mean, look, there was, there was every possibility we could have made it as far as Korea in the semis and, and got absolutely hammered just because you know, like I said, they got favorable decisions here, then everywhere. And Turkey, yeah. Turkey's the kind of team we always end up kind of like, you know, like like the Turkey and, and Serbia and back of the day, Yugoslavia, Croatia, the Netherlands. You know, while not like one hundred percent world class teams. I mean, Netherlands at that point, yeah, but, you know, we always drew against them and it was always 50-50. We either got battered or we kind of drew or we scraped over the line. So, you know, yeah, there's there's an argument to be made both sides. And look, the the whole thing was a bloody nightmare. Like, I mean, we're literally on our way to the World Cup and he he just walks. It was like... It was horrendous. Like, it was so upsetting as a football fan, you know, to, to just see him almost felt like he turned his back. You know, he had his reasons and whether you agree with him or not is one thing, but yes, it just yes. felt like he just, you know, it was almost, it's almost like your dad walking out on you. <laughs> yeah. And like I remember, cause I was, I was 10 when this world cup was on and I didn't really know much. It was kind of at the age where, you know, you start watching stuff, you start kind of grasping the concept. Like one of my earliest football memories is actually watching that game against Cameroon when my Holland scored. But it was weird. It was like it was like it was a basically it was a national tragedy. Like everyone was heartbroken. Everyone was going around like Jesus. This is one of the blackest days in our country's history. They were saying they were like it's such a dark day. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was pretty shitty. And but I mean, look, we we did persevere. So I mean, like you said, we got one all with Cameroon after Matty Holland belted in the bag of the net. Same with Germany, yeah. uh, and then three 0 over Saudi Arabia, um, which was a great. I remember watching that in school. Um, and we crashed. Free rain with the goal. Yeah. Oh beauty and we crash out in the knockouts after a loss to Spain in a penalty shootout uh, and then Mick McCarthy would resign after a few more games um, and I think we kind of started you know like I said that that 2002-ish team was definitely one of our last great teams but it was also the last time we actually had somewhat of a decent manager too I look I know because it was Brian yeah. was it Brian Kerr after yeah Kerr took yeah. over Brian and, Kerr and, yeah uh, Staunton yeah. was a disaster and then you had Trap was was very functional and, and got us to a tournament but it was very joyless uh, experience yeah. yes. really and uh, and uh, I guess I guess Martin O'Neill excuse me Martin O'Neill had his moments but the, the, the quality of the squad was weakening every year yeah, yeah um, it was because if you look at that team in the early 2000 like 2002 but up until about I suppose 
2006 where we missed a World Cup qualification. Like, you know, you'd, you'd Finnan, who was playing for Liverpool, challenging for the top four and for the Champions League. You'd Duff playing for Chelsea and then Blackburn at the time before that. Keane playing on the decent Spurs side at the time. They weren't doing much, but he was great up there. And also you had Given with Newcastle when they were challenging for top four. Like, you had every single player in that team was starting in the Premier League week and week out. And now you look, I mean, yeah, like great guys. I think we have a younger side thing coming through now, but someone playing in League One and stuff like this, it's just the, 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 just levels to it. That's the difference. Yeah, the dynamics have changed completely, really. But it was, it was. I mean, the amount of players in that 2002 team who had, who had Champions League experience, and uh, as you said, Alex, were playing up towards the top of the, the Premier League was was huge. And it's all, it's all, it's all yeah. different now. But yeah, it was, it was, it was very good. And, and like we had the, we had it was a good mix of a squad. I think that Mick Cardi doesn't get enough credit for that. Like. He'd really built that squad over a number of years. We spoke last week about yes. the setbacks he'd had in playoffs and stuff like that. But he had to phase out all Jack Charlton's old boys, realistically, bar one or two who were who were who were still hanging on and had been on the younger side of the squad when, when Charlton was there. Um, you know, and this was this was very much his team, and it was it was a good side. I probably should have done probably should have done better. One of my one of my uh, <laughs> favorite things about this whole thing is uh, is uh, what Roy Keane said to Mick McCarthy. In the infamous team meeting <laughs> that got him kicked out, um, yeah. so basically, so what had happened was, yeah, Keane, Keane was given out as we saw there about the car park and stuff like that. But he then did an interview with the Irish, and and he did an interview with the Irish Times. Well, he actually did an interview with the Irish Independent with Paul Kimmage, and Kimmage was mates with a journalist called Tom Humphreys, who uh, we we probably shouldn't dwell on too much for what he did after, but. Um, um, he was the Irish Times football correspondent and they were good mates. So he said to Humphreys, you can sit in on the interview with Keane, but you're not allowed to publish anything until I've published. And Humphreys said, yeah, sound. Mm. I mean, probably a portion of things to come. Uh, stabbed Kimmage at the back and uh, and published the article in advance anyway. So it was the Irish Times who got the scoop. Uh, <laughs> word got back to Saipan. Mick McCarthy brought the paper into a team meeting and basically attacked Keane with it and was like, what are you doing given this interview? The interview was given out about you know, all the preparation and all that kind of thing. I think it, it showed a fundamental difference between Keane and the FAI, not necessarily Keane and McCarthy, because Roy Keane was used to winning at Manchester United. He was used to being the best of the best. And yes, he was going to, yes. he's a winner and he's going to the World Cup to win it. He told Alex Ferguson, we're going to win this. I am going to this World Cup to win it. Because why else would you go to anything? Why else would you play? Why else would you bother being away from your family for that long? Um and the FAI's attitude was always, it's a jolly up. We're making money off tickets. We're having a great yeah. time. Good times are rolling. We're going to have free drink and, you know, it's all on the card. And this is before Delaney even had power. He was there, but he was, this is before he had power. So you can't even blame him. But um, that was really what he was giving out about. But he, he obviously threw several digs at McCarthy, who he didn't have a lot of time for anyway. Uh, but when, when challenged, uh, I'm just going to read you verbatim what Keane said to Mick McCarthy. Uh, so I'm going to quote him directly. Mick you're a liar. You're a fucking wanker. <laughs> I didn't rate you as a player. Uh, I don't... I should know it's off my heart. I don't rate you as a manager and I don't rate you as a person. You're a fucking wanker and you can stick your work up your, up your arse. The only reason I have any dealings with you is that somehow you're the manager of my country. You can stick it up your bollocks. Oh. So there really was no coming back from that. I mean, that doesn't even quote, you know, the fact that he allegedly challenge whether McCarthy was really Irish and, and all the rest of it so uh, yeah mm. it was um, it was uh, yeah, and it did become this like national yeah like nearly a comedic tragedy in the way that everyone kind of fell into two yeah. camps and uh, the camps by the way seemed broadly split along if you were a Man United fan or you were from Cork 
you were in Team Roy. Oh, yeah. If you hated yeah. Man United and you weren't from Cork or were one of the two, you were in Team Mick. That seemed to be the way it split. Um, but yes. uh, it was so bad that Bertie Hearn tried to get involved as a peacemaker. The, the Taoiseach of the country uh, tried to get yeah. involved to like talk Roy Keane off the ledge, so to speak. Like It's just madness. And it, I don't think we saw anything as mad until Garth Brooks tried to play Five Nights at Kroger. Uh, what ten years later? Like, that's like that's how mad holding went. So uh, it was absolutely, absolutely, um, and you know what? crazy. It's 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 gas because like you know, Kino is he's not short with his words. Like he knows what he's going to say, and he says yes. it regardless of the consequences. But to say the words right, stick it up your bollocks. Like he 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 should have just stopped before that because that's the kind of thing that you say to somebody in the pub, and then the rest of the pub goes what. Because you don't, you know, you wouldn't say this, stick it up your bollocks. Um, but, uh, and the best part about the whole thing was Eamon Dunphy was on the sidelines going, uh, I think he yes. should write a book. Uh, and write a book he did. I've never read it. Um, I don't really read that much. So, uh, any, did you ever read it, any of you? I have not, but I did yeah, love Dunphy's line I here. I love Dunphy's line when he was chatting here. And it just sums up the man. I thought it was wonderful where he says, this whole scenario hasn't been good for Roy. It hasn't been good for Irish football, and it hasn't been good for me personally. Yes, <laughs> not not one mention of Mick McCarthy. Like, sorry, you're writing a man's autobiography, which is going to sell a billion copies because of the Saipan. <laughs> like, how is it not good for you? <laughs> and uh, did I did I dream apparently this? Apparently, well? he um, apparently he only got dumpy in because Rod Little wasn't available. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to fi- engage with a young one. He, I was going to say he wanted to figure the young one in on the book deal as a as a co-author. But uh, did I dream it as well, or did like kind of tongue in cheek? Maybe a year after this or something. Didn't they write an autobiography on his dog as well? Yeah. So, so Paul Howard <laughs> of uh, the author of behind Roster Carl Kelly, um, fantastically successful uh, uh, book series, wrote uh, a satirical yeah autobiography of Triggs. The dog, the dog Roy was famous, uh, famously walked <laughs> several times very vigorously as all of the sports and Irish media uh, followed him all around uh, Cheshire or wherever the hell he lived. Yeah, that was Triggs. So there is a there is a Triggs autobiography from uh, from uh, maybe a year or two after this. Yeah, so oh, yeah very yeah, clever. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, this book, um, like he uh, fell out with Dunphy over it because not actually because of anything that was around Saipan, but because um, this is the book where he detailed how he tried to kill Alvin Gahalan on the pitch well tried oh, yeah. to break his leg everyone remembers that yeah. Alvin Gahalan now known as the dad yes. of Erling Haaland but uh, was a player in his own right for Man City and he had uh, he had formerly played for Leeds and when Keane snapped his cruciate ligament to the road uh, which um, definitely isn't something we celebrate uh, <laughs> he uh, Haaland leant over him and told him to get up not realizing obviously the extent of his injury, and Keane waited, held that grudge for three and a half years till he, he played against Holland for in a Man United Man City game, and he absolutely twatted him. Uh, <laughs> he did. up, yeah. Um, I think it's kind of one of these, uh, no Mandela effect isn't the right word, but everyone thinks it's one of those things where everyone thinks that ended Holland's career, it didn't. He recovered from that injury, mm. we just get chronic injuries in other places, but uh, but yeah, Keane detailed that in the book and promptly got a massive fine and suspension from the FA, and uh, I think. He blamed Dunphy, you know, that that yeah. Dunphy wrote in a certain way. What I always that. love, what I always love about that incident is as soon as he makes a tackle, he doesn't look up, doesn't look around. He makes a tackle, he gets up, he takes off his armband, hands it to someone else and just starts walking without even looking at the referee. <laughs> yeah. He knew. He knew straight away. Because <laughs> they tried to actually recreate this, um, oh, 
uh, this storyline, uh, well, I suppose storyline had happened in real life with Roy Keane and his and his uh, Haaland and his ACL. They um they tried to recreate it in a storyline in Dream Team. Uh, years later, there was a um and, and for some reason I'll never forget the guy's name that uh, allegedly did this to the, the basically they brought a manager in who was on a walking stick. He was a former player. His name was Alex. I think he's in Hollyoaks now, but um he uh the the, the guy he was playing against was a guy. Well, the character's name was Asen Malloyne. Um, and this Asen Malloyne guy did the same thing that Hallam did Keen or whatever, and uh, you know, snapped his it broke his ankle or snapped his creature leg, whatever he did. And uh, your man Alex had to finish football. And when he took over Harchester United, he instructed one of his team to go out there and to destroy your man Asen Malloyne. But then again, you're also talking about the same quote-unquote, football team that had one of their players went up for a header and got headbutted and lost an eye and then set up a foundation for former football players affected by blindness, which is him and Edgar Davids, and that's about it. Hmm. It's, yeah, so it's it's funny the things you remember from, uh, you know... What from, a show uh, Dream Team was. It was, and you know what? I sent, a... I sent an email to Sky uh, Corporate during the first lockdown uh, basically saying that since there was no football on television, they should replay the entire series of Dream Team. They did not reply. Uh, but that would have been good. Last weekend, there was Ranford Rejects on. <laughs> yeah, my favourite part of Dream Team was when they won the FA Cup and the chairman was trying to assassinate the star player because he was having an affair with the chairman's wife. And the hitman... <laughs> Was in the in the stands at like in the rafters at the old Wembley and with a rifle <laughs> took a shot and then it, it hit the FA Cup and killed the captain and didn't kill the star guy at all. <laughs> and that show lasted for like ten years. Like oh man, oh brilliant! Or the, uh, the, the we the, didn't know what we had, did we? We didn't no, know what no. we had. They, they jumped the shark when the manager crashed the, his car into the bus and basically killed the entire team. Uh, and then the rest of Harchester was made up by the B squad, which, uh, <laughs> wow, which, oh God almighty, somebody needs to, somebody somewhere needs to do a podcast on Dream Team. Um, but uh, up next then we have Jerry Fish in the Mudbow Club with True Friends Never Part. Uh, fun fact, I have those lyrics tattooed on me. Um, and uh, we also get our very own version of Survivor with Treasure Island. So kind of like a survivor as we see a farmer from Cork mm. win the big prize of 50 grand. Do you remember watching this? I remember watching this. I thought it was great. I have no memory of watching no, this. I, I had no, yeah, I was the same. I was like, how did I sleep on this? I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Two series. And, and apparently when I was reading about it last night, one of the people in the second series is now a senator. What? Yeah, some Fianna Fáil senator. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Uh, but when he was in his 20s back here, he was like just a contestant on Treasure Island. Wow. Yeah, this was like the era of like, let's throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Because shortly after this, they had uh, Cabin Fever, which was um, a basically the same thing. A group of normal people go on a boat, though, and they have to do nautical themed challenges and vote each other off yeah. every week. But this was that- um, <clears throat> we, like we saw Big Brother in the 2000 episode. We were talking about how that obviously laid the foundations for reality yeah. TV and, and and yeah this era this is before you know you get to that reality TV like fake reality TV like the, the Hills or the Kardashians and all this this is literally just yeah let's get some people let's put them in a situation and let's film it exactly yeah the um see it's it's gas because 
how these things come together because I remember watching this uh, like and being glued to it because it was just brilliant and I very vaguely remember the scene where that woman with the short hair and the very 2000s glasses is cutting the back of whoever voted her off and is talking I'm not happy oh yeah she was she, no she was not happy at all um, but this uh, brings me to today's pop quiz So, what I want to know is, uh, so obviously we see the farmer win, uh, I think Sean O'Sullivan, I think was his name, uh, he wins the big prize of 50,000 euro. So, with inflation, what would 50,000 euro be worth today? So, I'm going to start with Simon. So, tell me, if you think, what would 50 grand be worth today? Because it's not a long time ago now, mind you. No, this is like a, an inflation. I didn't expect that. This feels like a very 1960s episode of this, uh, mm. between Alex and these questions. Okay. Um, right. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> See what I'm uh, okay, let's 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 think about this. Uh, work in finance. Let's go. Okay. Um, Fifty thousand in two thousand and two. So twenty years ago. I reckon it's probably it's got to be. It's got to be, let's say, around the 60-something mark, I would have thought. Uh, I'm going to say 63,000. Okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a good guess. Um, Alex, if you are to take a stab in the dark, then 50 grand today. 50, what, 50 grand back then. 50 grand I'd say today it's probably a month's rent in Dublin. <laughs> you wouldn't be far <laughs> off it. I don't know. I will go with shoot of a doom. I don't know. I'll go with sixty-six grand. Okay, sixty-six. Uh, so I can tell you that Alex, you are the closest because the actual value of fifty grand. So fifty grand from let's just say for argument's sake, December two thousand and two, in today's money, would be sixty-five thousand eight hundred and twenty-eight euro and forty cent. Not a bad guess for me. No, not a bad guess at all. No, fair play. Um, so, Simon, you've actually been outfinanced this week, so you may hang up your haunches. Um, but uh, I, I, I'll resign in disgrace like that Japanese executive we saw a few weeks ago. <laughs> you may borrow Raikin's <laughs> katana. <laughs> but uh, that does bring me to our newest segment. So, you may redeem yourself now. So, what have you found for us in the Twitterverse this week, Simon? Simon's favorite Twitter page. Okay, so um, the yeah, look, the Twitterverse was was uh, I mentioned last week. It wasn't a very nice place to be this time last week uh, with everything that was going on in the country. It's a little happier tonight um, with the uh, with the um, all the announcements of or the announcement of uh, of restrictions being gone all of a sudden. No social distancing, none of that. Might actually get to meet you here on one of these days now, exactly. um, which would be nice. Pull the curtain back on that, but uh, the. Um, I thought we'd bring a little levity into proceedings um, and we'll go for a good old-fashioned parody account. Um, nice. The parody account question is a relatively topical one in that it is uh, at Boris Johnson underscore MP. Boris Johnson uh, underscore MP. Parody Boris Johnson is the name of the account. Um, Boris Johnson obviously was in the news this week um, for... Uh, having a, a a work gathering that was actually a party uh, while the rest of his country was in severe lockdown. 
Um, so I thought nothing better than uh, than to uh, have a look at his um, at his uh, parody account. So it's parody Boris Johnson. That's at Boris Johnson underscore MP. Um, for those of you who are playing along at home. Um, one tweet from this account uh, on January 20th says, you'd be amazed how little time a prime minister spends doing anything to benefit the country and how much time they spend breaking the rules, lying about having broken the rules, blaming other people, threatening blackmailing and desperately clinging to power. Um, there's uh, a... <laughs> There's, there, that was followed by a tweet on the same day that said, on the bright side, it's quite nice to prove wrong all those who thought I couldn't sink any lower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Boris. The man yeah, says so, um, it's a parody uh, anyway. It's, it's, he is. It's like, it's like Trump. It's quite hard to parody people like this. But uh, I think this page does does do a good job. You probably, it is tinged with a bit of, you know, this guy is that crazy <laughs> but um but uh, there's a funny one so like again last week uh sorry january 18th when was that wednesday or sorry tuesday uh when this whole controversy was in full flow uh the parody boris johnson account um tweeted uh i distinctly remember the rules in place in may 2020 a gatherings of more than two people are banned B, gatherings of 40 or more people for booze, nibbles, and a disco are permitted, provided that nobody reminds me that I made up roulette. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm still to this day convinced that as he leaves office, he's going to whip off his hair, and turns out he was a Matt Lucas character all along. <laughs> oh, 100%. The funny, the funny thing about that Boris Johnson parody account, I was like, if you told me that wasn't a parody, I was like, no, I, I pretty much believe that's him. I mean, yeah, we're, like we're, we're talking about the man who forgot his notes when he was addressing the nation and just started referencing Peppa Pig. <laughs> God, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, oh, we, we won't be letting him live that down anytime soon. Um, and if I can not- just say, I was out, I was out for Halloween last year with a few people, and one of the people I was out was my friend Jack, who's also a comedian. I think he's been on the show as well, hasn't he? Jack, McCann. he has, he has, he has, yeah. <laughs> has and what i was going to say was jack came out dressed as own wilson so he had the wig on and he had like you know the kind of the shirt and everything and as he walked into the pub very loudly i said oh my god it's boris johnson <laughs> everyone loved that, for that, all I, he was being called boris actually that i can't don't see that's um that is, yeah that is <laughs> um and uh, speaking of you know comedic characters unintentionally liam lawler is back on our screens this time in a prison van uh, he's on temporarily release to discuss his behavior essentially as he's currently serving time for his re- refusal to comply with the flood tribunal talk about a walk of shame rocking up to the doll in a prison van yeah some would say probably more uh, people in the doll should be in prison vans but uh, uh but uh, I wouldn't mm. one of them. No, yeah, this is um, this is pretty. It's a new low for Liam Lawler, uh, yeah. much like Boris Johnson. <laughs> he didn't think he could sink any lower, and he somehow managed it. Yep. I like that image of him sitting alone on the back benches, just probably yeah. being berated about his conduct, like a bold child. Exactly, like a scorned child, and told, "Go sit down and don't make any noise." Um, and uh, up next, the currency trader John Rusnak loses six. Hang on, a six hundred ninety-one million of uh, it was it AIB money. Uh, yeah, that's that's a lot of money to lose. Um, as I said, Simon, you're the money guy. Uh, what what you got on this? Because uh, six hundred ninety-one million, I'm still picking my job off the floor. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, John Rusnak was a uh, 
was a currency trader working for a bank called All First Bank, um, which was based in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, in the US. And at the time, they were owned by AIB. Uh, and so it was their money, essentially, that he was uh, he was trading. And uh, essentially, with these with these traders, they they they've they they're they're looking to trade the the currency markets, move money between currencies to uh, make profit. So uh, you know one currency goes up, then you sell it back into your own currency, you've made a profit, right? Um, so that's the idea. But you're talking about doing it with huge sums of money. What John Rusnak was doing was making huge gambles with it. Um, he essentially was gambling the bank's money on quite risky um, trades. They started out relatively small. I mean, you're always talking big money with these guys, but like relatively small. But what was happening is he was making losses. Uh, obviously, if you're making losses as a currency trader, you are bad at your job and you is going to get fired. Um, so what mm-hmm. the, what he what he was doing was covering it up um, using a, a sequence of uh, suspense accounts. So the bank will always have like a balancing account that you, that, you know, you balance the losses out, you balance the books and you're, you're supposed to report the losses rather than reporting them. He was moving money out of the suspense account to cover it. And he did this so much and got in so deep and made so many bad bets that eventually he racked up 691 million uh, of a hole, basically, Ooh. that was just being hidden through, you know, not being audited properly and not being checked. It happened in loads of different banks around the world. And he's far from the only person who did it, but this is the biggest one, I guess. Um, uh, and yeah, he um, he was eventually, it was eventually discovered and uh, because they always are, I mean, you can't hide it forever. Like you just can't go on hiding it. Eventually people are going to notice even, you know, uh, people working in an Irish bank in the early 2000s are going to notice eventually that's $691 million uh, has walked out the door. Um, so, uh, so eventually he was caught and convicted of bank fraud. Damn. That's uh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the, uh, the guy, the representative coming out going, I cannot believe the level of, neg- I don't, that was negligence mate. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he knew no, exactly senor, what he sen- was doing. Senor Mustache was very uh, preachy uh, for Michael- someone who was presiding over a massive amount of negligence at the time. <laughs> yeah, you, you mean mm-hmm. Michael Buckley, the man who suspiciously looks like Adolf Hitler? With the hair and the mustache, he looked the bulb of Adolf Hitler, which is why I laughed when he said his mind is blown. Um, Can't unsee. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, this is the thing. What he was saying there basically was that, you know, people in... Uh, in all first bank who you know by the way michael you own uh, so you might have been able to check in on whether they were doing their due diligence and being negligent or not uh he was basically throwing them under the bus and saying that they should have been able to which they should have been able to notice that this guy was losing massive amounts of money and hiding it but uh you know at the same time um it doesn't reflect well when we know what happened in no. Not just AIB, but in a lot of Irish, all Irish banks, I guess. Uh, True. <laughs> like, Coming up in a future episode very soon, folks. Yeah, like, yeah, remember Anglo? Remember that was a thing? Um, and uh, we also get a visit from Prince Charles for reasons. Uh, Daniel O'Donnell gets an MBE for more reasons. Um, Charles definitely said, I have no idea who you are, but here, have a shiny, shiny. Just the randomest thing of like Prince Charles. Have you met my brother Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Coming what a over, nice man. I'm sure he'll do great things. Coming over and giving uh, Daniel O'Donnell an MBE. I mean, I like that. You know, we were like, I assume that what this was was Prince Charles doing a punishment uh, for you know, <laughs> 800 years of oppression, uh, being forced to shake hands and talk with Daniel O'Donnell. Well, <laughs> that's it, that is true, actually. Um, he probably, he, I, I was just picturing he had like a bit of a thing, like he was getting a bit on. It was like, who was it? He thought he said Daniel O'Connell and he was like, oh, uh, he was like, uh, <laughs> you know, you're different to what we expected. 
yeah, he's um, yeah, definitely, definitely a different, uh, different kettle of fish altogether. As in, you know, Daniel O'Connell did things for our country. Daniel O'Donnell did not, um, which we'll we'll get to in, in a little while. Um, and uh, we also see that Queen Elizabeth is celebrating 50 years of tyranny. I, I mean, uh, being the queen. Um, so mm. kudos to her. I don't even know what year she's on now. Well, I mean, 20 years. So that's 70 is coming up this year. Yeah. Yeah, 70 years this interject. year. Yeah. But she's 95 this year, so. Some people argue if Queen Elizabeth II is actually the best queen of all time. I would say no. I would say she's not even the best queen of her lifetime in England. That honour goes to Freddie Mercury. Yes. Well, being the best British monarch, that's like being, you know, I don't know, the, the best guy in prison. The, the best terminal disease. I would like, agree. I mean, you know, it's not exactly a great thing, <laughs> one might say. One, there you go. That's perfectly put. One might say. Um, Sometimes I think it's just her and Henry VIII left. <laughs> well, at least I was looking at. I was scanning the uh, the shots here. You know where she's sitting on the balcony watching these people dancing around, and I was like, "Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he?" But they didn't show Randy Andy. He wasn't. Well, he was obviously there, but he just wasn't in the shots. I was like, "Ah, come on, let's get. Let's. I want every little clip of Prince Andrew on there." He wanted on, a closer uh, look. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, I can't call him Prince Andrew anymore. He's been stripped of all. Well, he's still a prince, but he is Randy Andy, though. I think that's stripped I think that sticks. His I think title. So Randy Andy that. is the is the uh, official uh, yeah. moniker. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't sweat it because he's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of the Queen, uh, the PSNI raid the offices of Sinn Féin at Stormont over claims of spying. Uh, Jerry Kelly mm. says it's an attack on democracy. Years later, we discovered that it was a stunt to protect a British spy in Sinn Féin. What in the name of James Bond is this all about? This um, sent me down a rabbit hole last oh, night. <laughs> please do, do tell me about what you found in the hutch. So, yeah, well, it just, I mean, it, it is actually, it does actually, for once really in the years, actually explains it quite well in its, in its small captions. Um, yeah, basically, so they've, they've, they raided Sinn Féin's offices and, and like said that it was part of an investigation into a spy ring within Sinn Féin. And basically the idea there was to throw confusion among the ranks of Sinn Féin because it was actually to protect real, a real spy. No, not a James Bond spy, but like someone who was giving information to the British uh, active within Sinn Féin. Um, that man was later found a couple of years, was uh, outed by, was it Jerry Adams? I don't want to, he might kill me if I get it wrong. But yeah, he, I think it was Jerry Adams who, who kind of named him a few years later uh, and he, the guy was shot and killed by the IRA. Jesus. Yeah, um, we'll see that in I think 2006 mm. episode. Um, but yeah, so the, I don't know where the I don't know. So yeah, it's just but it's madness. Like the whole thing is a stunt. It's very I'm very not, James Bondy. I'm not gonna lie. When I saw Jerry Kelly, I looked and I said, "Not the Jerry I was expecting." Yeah, um, I, I think. Well, I just I'm pictured right, him like freaking out. I pictured old Jerry Adams freaking out. They're like, uh, "Jerry." Uh, we're after being raided. What? He's like on the phone with a few people. Where is it? Where is it? Which which which, which hideout was it? It was the Sinn Fein office. Oh, well, that's all right. Yeah, I, I think if I'm right in saying Jerry Kelly is one of the guys who was rescued by the IRA, well, rescued, broken out of prison by the IRA uh, in the helicopter that we reviewed many many years. Oh ago. yeah, I think yeah, you could be right. Oh. I think you could be right. Yeah, because I remember he appeared on. Uh, an episode of oh god like prison breakouts or some crap show like that on the discovery channel and i remember googling him at the time and found that he was a Sinn Féin representative so i think i think i'm right in saying that that is the same uh 
that is the same guy. But uh, Big Ian weighs in and basically shits on the Good Friday Agreement, given any oh, chance, yeah. uh, and says those breathing oxygen into it must realise it's over. Um, I'm still waiting. So, you know, obviously we know, right, that, that at some point Ian Paisley essentially became mates with Martin McGuinness or as, mo- as, yeah. as much as they could become mates. But I thought it had already happened. But there, here he is in 2002 shitting on the Good Friday Agreement. So he hasn't had his big conversion yet. Uh, he's still giving out. <laughs> So like I can't I, I'm like we're running out a road for a big Ian here. At some point, I'm pretty sure he does turn, but uh, he hasn't just yet. No, he's still he's still throwing uh, like a few digs in at the Good Friday Agreement now and again. Because I mean, it's <laughs> it's like you know, oh, this happened involving the North and the South. Well, better put my jacket on and go shit all over the Good Friday Agreement. <laughs> what I thought was uh, fairly ominous at the end. You started probably clearing out at the end. There was all the different stuff, and there was just one shot of Jerry Adams looking down off a balcony. Kind of looking with a whole like look on his face, like going oh, soon. And then one of the guys looking at his watch, they all nod at each other and walk off. I was like, shenanigans are going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was expecting a theme song to uh, Sopranos to play over that. You know, that just sounded like it would fit perfectly. Um, and um, Dublin City Council introduces new traffic signs and systems, as if Dublin wasn't complicated enough. This was incredible. I this was just incredible. Like the news report. And I have it written down for me because I have to write this down. People say, watch Father Ted and say, that's not us. We are Father Ted in this country. There's no two ways about it. Verbatim, this news reporter says, for some motorists who have managed to work out what the new signs mean, they follow that, that, what the new signs mean, like that, that intro. And then he goes on to say how they follow signs onto roads that haven't got signs put up on them yet. So they're following <laughs> with these new signs onto roads with no signs. So they don't know where they're going. Yeah, and, and like, you know, this is a country, you're dead right, Alex, because this is a country, we've just seen us lose our shit over football, uh, yeah. to the point where the leader of the country has to try and get involved to resolve this row between yeah. essentially, you know, two rich men, uh, you know, <laughs> over a ball. Um, we will see a scene lifted directly from Father Ted at the end of this episode. Um, oh, yes. Uh, which we won't spoil, but good Lord, is that from you know if it wasn't six years after the father ted episode aired you'd be like i see where they got the inspiration from shot um, for shot and now we're seeing <laughs> you're dead right now we're seeing like unbelievable levels of chaos brought in by essentially bringing in a few one-way streets yeah, yeah. I, I i couldn't get over the fact that he was reporting from you know live on the scene in front of a sign that has yet to be erected like it but it looks yeah. like somebody robbed it like how poorly thought out is this but it's typical Ireland. I mean, it couldn't get any worse if they took the roads in. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's one. It is one of those things because, like, you, you maybe this is very stereotypical, but you would imagine in Germany they plan out this new traffic system in their city. Yes, they have a date where they're going to launch it, and they make sure all the signs arrive on time and they're erected on time. And if they don't, they delay the start and they make sure yes. that when they have to start, everybody. You know, is on board and knows where the signs are going to be. The signs are all there; they're all pointing the right way. Uh, in Ireland, you'll notice actually, um, Kieran. I don't know if you've much of this down in, down in Waterford. It's less of a thing in Dublin, but there are a lot of places in Ireland where there's debate about how a town is spelled. Oh, big debate down here, right? So the famous example I know of, because I, I I go there a good bit, is Lehinch in County Clare, which to uh, which on the road signs is Lehinch with an L E, but uh, to all the locals is Lehinch to the point where they go and put a sticker with the letter A over the E 
uh, in, in Lynch on the roadside. Yeah, so we can't even agree on the names of places. Uh, yeah. And we're trying to get a whole new traffic system in place. Um, oh, they never got to Wales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, they, down here it is actually a big enough thing because um, so they have, there's a place just, it's a technically not Waterford, it's actually just outside Waterford in, in the border of Kilkenny. Um, and it's Rana. So it's officially, it should be G, like, oh God, G-R-E-A-N-N-A-G-H. And some of the road signs have it as Granny, G-R-A-N-N-Y, <laughs> to the point where they, again, spray painted over it and spelt it, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in like chalk or something. But they also have the Gwail Talks region down here, which um, if, if you meet people and you say, give me your address, they'll tell you it's Helvic Ring, Dungarvan. Uh, but a lot of people will fight you on it and will say, no, it's on Ryan because it's a Gwail talk. It should be on Ryan. Um, like even, even where I live, I live in an area called Ballybeg and people will tell you that like in certain parts of it will tell you, no, I don't live in Ballybeg. I live in the Cork Road. So it's just like whatever about signs be damned. It's, um, there's also another one up by the Wit Sports Arena where, um, where Waterford United train. It's a, uh, some signs say Carrigan Noor ending in an E. Some say Carrigan Nord uh, ending in a D. So, look, we don't have our shit together down here neither. Um, uh, we also see the introduction as well of the penalty point system, the thorn in the mm. side of any driver. Now, I don't yes. drive, so, you know, I don't get them. But um, I've, you know, I know quite a few people who get them. And uh, what a way to bump up your insurance premium, I'll tell you that much. Oh, yes. And can I just give a quick shout out to, uh, I, I can't remember his name, but the, the, the Garda that we had on the side of the road with the, uh, the quote of the year who said, you know, for drivers, driving licenses are essential. Yeah. <laughs> that man went to Garda school. <laughs> <laughs> Top of the class. <laughs> the commissioner was looking going, well done. Yeah, Jeez, no. that, fella, that fella Healy's flying. Tell you, you know, he just has to remember his one Garda, two Gardi. <laughs> um, yeah no it's uh yeah you're right he, he kind of hit the nail on the head there saying driving licenses are essential um i do i do wish you, i know we talked earlier about parody twitter accounts but i don't know if you ever followed the uh, the card shia like they will name and shame anybody uh on on mm. twitter they often put up like you know driver caught speeding bag of cocaine found arrest and you know six penalty points or whatever and take photos of the car with the license plate in it and everything but they just don't give a mm. shit so fair play, the guards do the job, issuing penalty points, as they should, some may say. Um, although I do, I'm a big fan of, uh, of shit telly, as we know, but uh, one of the programs that I watch every Saturday morning is the New Zealand, uh, oh God, what the hell is it, Motorway Patrol. And um, they like pull over, you know, people speeding and whatever and give out sting to them. And they're like, you know, right, so you're speeding, that's 60 points. I'm like, what? So they've got like a demerit system over there, so which, which seems to work a bit better, but... Um, yeah, so if you're driving, drive safe. Um, and we also see the construction of the port tunnel. Uh, the T-Shock switches on the giant boring machine. No, not Joan Bruton. Um, anyway. <laughs> I have one, I have one, I have one. Oh, God, God. I didn't think Enda Kenny showed up till later in the episode. Hey! hey. I had to do a double take of that because I was like, wait, does that say what I think it says? Yeah, I, I did initially have not Joan, not Joan Bruton's vibrator, but I, I said I'd keep it clean. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was uh, the founder of Enpet. <laughs> I'm just one giant poor machine that would take over the country. 
Um, and um, so, yeah, look, I, I don't Dublin. Uh, so what's the port tunnel? It's port tunnel, tunnel from, is from the port. a... Yeah, it's a tunnel from the north side. Like, it's on the... It's on the north side, and as you're coming in from like down to the north side, you can either you can actually just drive around it if you want. You can go past it and go with the town without yeah. taking it, but it's like an extra few minutes off your journey that brings you right into like up there where the free rain is and stuff. And it's just it's expensive though. It's like if you go during peak hours, it's like a tenner or something. What? The, the, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's tenner, I think, totally yeah, in peak hours. Yeah. But the, the idea, Karen, was as actually what Bertie was saying, which was to to get the, the trucks out of town because they were having to drive to come in the port, which is on kind of the south of the city. Uh well, I mm. guess the the east of the city, but you know, it was the yeah, they had to drive through town basically to get to the north side uh, and and pass like out of the city that way and they were just clogging up all the yeah. roads uh, around there which weren't built for them so the port tunnel was designed to take them and it also gives you yeah it gives you a shortcut so like if, if I was driving to the airport from where I live on the south side I would drive um, for the port tunnel ah, uh, okay. because it pops you out on the uh, on the on the road on the motorway there to get to the M50 and avoids mm. avoids the uh, avoids town but it is expensive yeah uh, on peak hours like during the working day it's it's pretty expensive yes. I think you're right Alex I think it's a tenner wow. it is I think and also Kieran uh, I'm not sure if you're aware but also we have the M50 and if you want to drive from the south to the north in the M50 there's still a toll on that too I think it's about what three euros something yeah three euro I think yeah yeah. Damn. yeah see I thought we were bad because we um in our oh god but I want to say maybe 10 plus years ago they brought in uh, they built a new bridge in Waterford so now we have two um, and uh, one is the it's the Thomas Francis Mar toll bridge now if you go across it in a car it's like you know two quid but if you go across it in a heavy vehicle like a HGV you're looking at about yeah about six seven eight quid and they built the bridge with the purpose being it basically brings you from kind of the Kilkenny side so that people who are you know driving like big lorries or whatever who have to make a delivery from like somewhere like Dublin would say to Cork can come down the normal way on the motorway whatever through Kilkenny and go across the Thomas Francis Mar Bridge pay your toll and you'll come out if you keep going straight you'll come out by Kilmeaden and on to Dungarvan on to Cork uh, but fuck all trucks use it um, and the only other bridge brings you onto the quay which a couple of years ago they decided it would be a great idea if they built a concrete island going this entire stretch of the quay the whole way up so uh, if a truck was to drive on it both wheels, both sides of the truck and the wheels would be literally touching the island and the side of the road. So uh, they basically, yeah, truck drivers basically went, fuck that, I'm just going through the quay. Uh, and now, in the middle of your working day, it is practically impossible for an ambulance to get through. So whoever is the uh, civil engineer that designed that, congratulations, task failed successfully. Um, so we should probably have turned on the giant boring machine and just built a four tunnel. Probably the same guy who forgot <laughs> to put the signs up. That's it. He was probably in charge of the same, the same transition your student who was put in charge of that project. Um, and uh, in, in I uh, think it was Pat Cox. They, that's it. He was he was to blame with his too busy hugging people. Too busy. There you go. Too busy hugging people. Um, and in Bali, a tourist resort is the scene of a disaster as a terrorist group kills over two hundred people. While in Afghanistan, the Taliban are retreating as we see shots of U.S. forces on the ground and in the air. Um, kudos to that guy who got that rocket shot straight through the cave. That was quite accurate. Um, we also mm. see shots of the notorious Guantanamo Bay, a base in Cuba, where the U.S. says prisoners can be held <clears throat> and interrogated beyond the rules of the Geneva, Con Geneva Convention. 
Um, and in Kabul, Taliban restrictions are lifted and entertainment and girls' schools are allowed to open. Mm. Did you ever think it's uh, a funny is the wrong word, but it's uh, it's uh, I don't know if it's ironic that uh, the supposed leaders of the free world and the land of the free uh, conveniently have a prison which is outside of their legal jurisdiction and yeah. human rights conventions. I always thought that was I always mm. thought that was interesting, and also like on the island of their mortal enemy. Like I don't understand how that ever happened. <laughs> To be honest. Yeah, and I mean Castro was still alive at this time, so it's not like that went down easy. I definitely I think money. Don't was get anyway. how the US have <laughs> and held this famous like a base in Cuba. Like I get that it's like fucking more secure than Fort Knox, but like Jesus, it is like Cuba hate or hated uh, America. Like I don't, I don't yeah. understand mm-hmm. how they managed to stay there. Yeah, definitely some 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 dodgy dealings. And I mean, look, we were used to stories coming out about the treatment of people in Guantanamo Bay at the time, and I believe it's still open. Um, you know, so it's not like it 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 kind of went away. I mean, I, I'd like to think it's the kind of place that they hold events like Dredrick Tatum versus the horse, you know. Uh, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely been some interesting entertainment in, in for the troops in Guantanamo Bay. I would bet my bottom dollar. I've actually I was in Cuba once. Um, oh. Uh, we didn't go down towards Guantanamo Bay. We decided that would be best avoided. Yeah, you you might have been. Yeah, you might not have been treated too nicely. Um, yeah. And uh, fancy being shot on holiday. And uh, in Iraq, the pressure grows on Saddam as the US and the UK still insisting he has nuclear weapons. Um, they compile a book of evidence to suggest the same. However, I've seen bigger pamphlets on prostate checks than this thing. Like. Your, your mm. man is there and he's like you know oh i can see clearly here they've got you know suggest they have weapons it's like that looks like a five-page document like yeah does, and this more... this this dossier started a war and it was later proved to be false like totally false yeah yeah they they, they didn't which i always found hilarious because they they the un weapons inspector was a man named hans and the running joke was they've got a man named hans looking for arms <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, which, which brought me great pleasure when they brought out Team America, uh, you know, that film years ago with the puppets, and uh, they had Kim Jong il, and you know, they put Hans Blitz in a blender. Uh, oh, this fucking great. Um, and uh, we usher in the 2002 election campaign back home. Um, so Bertie says, uh, basically, give the people a campaign of substance, not slander. Uh, in other words, please don't tell anyone how I live. Um, did you- <laughs> the- <laughs> The general, the general election is underway as we see Bertie carrying on the tradition of Charlie Hawhey and shifting a random woman in the street on her wedding day. Yeah, I saw that. While the oh, greasy little man that was with him gets in his own kiss. This is, that's right. Yeah. So this this guy is obviously like Bertie Hearn, you know, one of the most famous men in the country at the time. Taoiseach. Okay, maybe she didn't mind having a yeah. smooch off Bertie. I don't know. He he, he kind of half hawhey her. He didn't really go for, yeah. the, for the kill, but he definitely went in for the photo op. The no-name local politician. <laughs> Who the in, fuck is that guy? Like, appears over <laughs> her shoulder and just like now, okay, he doesn't full on hire on the lips or anything, but like, yeah, definitely like slobbering on her face a little bit there. Like that's oh. just that's just that. And the yeah. smile, the smile after, and the look to the camera as if say, "Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it?" That's my fault. Just the groom, like, the... kind of awkwardly looking off <laughs> yeah. the side, just going like, uh, "What the hell is going on here?" Put me on the front of the Leitrim leader or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Leitrim leader? <laughs> is it the Longford leader? Ah, probably. You got a lot of alliterative uh, local newspapers, I feel like. Did you see, actually, a small segue, the um, 
the Longford leader, uh, they had a article about uh, last week about two guards who uh, were called out to something or other. I only caught the, the, to the screenshot of it. But uh, basically, one of the guards tried to set off pepper spray and hit the other guard in the face with it. And uh, oh my oh, God. That's, that's not the best part. The best part is the article in the Longford leader, which uh, was meant to say, uh, Garda McCoy set off his pepper spray, which incapacitated Garda McGuire, but instead of incapacitated, replaced it with decapitated. So, uh, <laughs> and that went that went to publish. They published uh, that. So another scene uh, straight out of Father Ted. And exactly. speaking of things straight out of Father Ted, and speaking of uh, people getting stuck in the face, I gotta say this particular part of the episode was my highlight. This was wonderful. You know what I'm talking about here. Uh, this was wonderful with Michael Noon. Oh, Michael Noon and taking a pie to the face. Absolute classic. This <laughs> caught me so bad because I was looking at the different things. You see Bertie going to great. Don't slander. Just nice, honest election. There's a big banner of Bertie. There's, you know, politicians walking down Grab Street with the photographers. There's the pickets. And I'm like, okay, this actually looks pretty legit. And then it was like, Michael Noon gets a pie to the face. And I'm like, Okay, so I thought it was like a metaphor. I was like, so he gets embarrassed or something. I was like, uh, no, and I see him walking on the bus. No, no, he literally in the face. Literal pie in the face. It was great because, um, like, I was watching this last night, and I, I like, I know the scene, but I was, I was actually writing a note at the time about um, how it was a great year for bald men, um, Kieran, because uh, Murray Quinn leading Labour and Michael yeah. Noonan leading Fine Gael, and then this, then this clip turned up, and we don't see him get the pie in the face, which is kind of sad, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, do yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to take over the pop quiz uh, now and ask you uh, guess where that happened in the country. I'm going to guess because you're asking me, right? Uh, I am going to guess that it was somewhere in Wexford. Oh, not Wexford. I no, haven't. Not Wexford. Wicklow. Got a clue. I'll go with Tipperary. Oh, I actually planted it in your mind two minutes ago. It was in Leitrim. Oh, in Leitrim, which made me think maybe Michael Newton pies. said he was happy. He said he liked gay marriage or something. I thought they just beat him with sticks in Leitrim, but no, <laughs> we, they're more advanced. We want, we want the sparage. I know where you're getting at, but it was Ross Common that voted no. Oh, god, excuse me, there excuse you me. Go. Yes, did Leitrim not have yeah. some? some no, no they're, they're, they're just one and the same. Oh. They blend together sometimes. If I knew anyone from Leitrim, I'd apologise, but I don't. I've... Neither do I. And, and yeah, fun... I don't think anyone knows anyone from Leitrim. No, they never I leave. Funny, Leitrim, no. funny you mention that because I was at a party, God, I would say about 10 years ago, a college party. And, you know, as you do, well, how's it getting on? How are you? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And your man went, I'm from Leitrim. And I went, no, you're not. And uh, no, it turns out he was actually from Leitrim. The first and only person I've ever met from Leitrim. Don't know his name. Don't know if he was actually from Leitrim, but first person I've ever met from Leitrim. I know it's not a very um, like populous county like there's not a huge amount of people in it but like it, yeah, I've never met anyone from Leitrim I don't think no. um, and like I, I'm not I know you might think oh, he's just up there and he's up there in Dublin and he doesn't doesn't associate with people from I know I mean some of my best friends are from are from uh, the country <laughs> I was going to go a different <laughs> way with that but you're sitting up there in Dublin and you're thinking he doesn't associate with people from Leitrim and you'd be right <laughs> I don't want a pie in the face <laughs> Yeah exactly Jeez. But in fairness to Michael Noonan He took it a lot better than Leo Varadkar Took that milkshake a couple of years ago He did, he did with his old jive of uh, I usually have me dessert uh, after my chips 
Uh, yeah, oh, how we laughed. But I have to say, uh, the Michael Munin, the poor bastard, was the running joke of that 2002 election. And I'll tell you why, because there was a very... Uh, so Michael Noonan based his whole campaign on basically being a man of the people. Um, So, you know, he's out and about and he's... Uh, you know, I know we saw Bertie making great strides running down the street trying to, you know, hold the hands of two uh, women. But uh, Michael Noonan basically based his whole campaign on I'm a man of the people, I'm an every man, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when they lost uh the election so you know you always see the shots of um you always see the shots of people in like the town halls and what have you uh you know counting the votes and lifting politicians up on their shoulders and etc so michael noonan uh wanting to save face and still be a man of the people he stayed basically behind uh like he was the last one to leave the 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 parish hall or whatever when they were they were taking the votes and he was you know chatting to you know whoever the local priest and blah blah but uh, some of the press, you know, were there obviously to capture in the event that he did win or whatever. And as people are winding down, Michael Noonan grabbed a brush and started sweeping up the like papers, like the flyers and, you know, the, the confetti, whatever was on the floor and just started like sweeping because there was barely anybody left. And whoever, I think it was like the star or the, the, the other paper that has three letters after the, the that I won't pronounce as a Liverpool fan, but he uh, they took a photo of him pushing the brush and like all over the front pages was just Michael Noonan looking sad, pushing the brush. And it just summed up his election campaign totally. Um, it was just, it just couldn't have gone any better than that. Um, but I have to say, uh, we also see um, Michael McDowell, uh, see carrying a sign uh, that says one party government, no thanks. And then in an interview, he must have said, hey, any chance you can make me look 10 feet tall? Uh, because we see we said we then see he's on a ladder but they don't show the ladder in the initial shot <laughs> so he just looks <laughs> this gigantic man will devour us all um, and uh, in the results then at the end also, <laughs> all dominate and uh, Mary O'Rourke and uh, another greatly named man Dick Spring lose their high profile seats um, and Sinn Féin the PDs and the independents also get seats uh, Michael Noonan resigns then as Fianna Gael and lose 23 seats and then of course we usher in the Inda era um, as we move forward with a Fianna Fáil PD coalition so this is Ender where it all was, went downhill. Ender was very much an Alex Ferguson type. Like he was a bit of a slow burn. Uh, it took him a long time to get to the top when you consider that he became Taoiseach nine years later. Um, so he was in he was in uh, he was leader of Fine Gael for a long time before he uh, before he got any kind of power. He was, and I mean, look, this is why I'd love to be a politician because guys like Michael Noonan and Enda Kenny and uh, Michael McDowell, you know, they they do it for like some of them do it for like 10 years they're in the news for like a year and then they just totally disappear like i mean enda kenny was in charge of the country when things were at their absolute worst where is he now nobody knows he could be in leitrim for all we know i think he must be in leitrim <laughs> he's not allowed to leave maybe leitrim is ireland's guantanamo bay when you yeah, get there you're never allowed to leave that is probably oh. Almost certainly what it is, I would say. There is definitely some like anti-vaxxer, anti-5G guy with a tinfoil hat on taking notes going, he's right. God damn it, I heard that. <laughs> I don't want to be next Alex Jones. Do you think Jim Corr listens to this? <laughs> After having Janae Walsh on, Janae, uh, Jim Corr does not listen. Oh, I was yeah. Gonna say, uh, the, um, I was going to say the person doing that Leitrim is probably Emma Kenny. That's what he's up to. <laughs> yeah. We, um, I, I, I think, Kieran, that we may have set a record in this episode for uh, the number of men being awkwardly chaired around uh, 
you're talking about the election <laughs> results and you know you always see one or two being hoisted up on the shoulders there's about 15 in this episode like there's like yeah. there's yeah. left right and center there's lads getting and they all look so awkward your man john gormley from the greens looks like like a puppet on acid yeah. he's so like stiff and like <laughs> his arms are just he's so uncomfortable he's like a marionette oh man it's just the worst I'm like just get up there and start dancing around like at least me and Flanagan had a bit of class about him when he got hoisted yes exactly. the funniest was I don't know if it was it was when Enda got elected in this it's just there's one that are all standing around as like someone says God they all just grab him but like right up you get and I felt bad for that one I can't remember his name but the politician he was quite an old man and you see him up on the shoulders and just the face of oh god why am I up here <laughs> and, you know what that's my my my, my favourite thing about seeing the election results is the you know the the, the, the having a gila like at a wedding but um, you know the, there's a local politician here who is uh, I think she's a TD uh, I think yeah she is actually a TD she was uh, elected in the last election and uh, to put it lightly not very popular uh, at all amongst people of Waterford, but um, basically they they showed her uh, when she won her election. They showed her an RT, and you know she they basically did that, like you know somebody behind the camera would go and they lifted her. Uh, but when they lifted her, God Almighty, the whatever way they caught her, the top went up and just just started bits started started flailing around, and the poor woman was trying mercifully to pull down her blouse, and it just wasn't working for her. So. There's her her golden moment now after being elected is just everything out flopping all over the telly. So fair play. Um, and uh, in the hurling, Kilkenny beat Clare in the final. Um, I was actually another game I was at. Uh, and uh, in the football, Armagh beat Kerry to win their first title. Some Jesus, that's a that's a name you don't hear too often. Armagh and victory yeah, together. Their first and only and. Uh... Yeah, it was a big. Sh- it was, it was a shock, but it wasn't a shock because obviously Armagh were really good at this time, and Ulster football was had really come into its own. It was a really tough, hard, uh, physical game that uh, these countries played. I think uh, next week's episode we're gonna hear Pat Spillane utter the phrase "puke football" yeah. uh, because Kerry keep losing to Ulster teams. Uh, but yeah, this is. Uh, this is uh, this is great, and the great thing about this is the pitch invasion is back here. Yes, the pitch invasion is back. We commented over the last few weeks how when they were rebuilding the Hogan Stand, um, they had the presentations on the pitch that it wouldn't let fans on. But we're back. The Armagh people weren't to be denied their moment, and why not? Because as you see, I think I don't support a lot of winning teams, but uh, when your team do, is successful, you, you do get that thing of like this. You know, we'll get the chance again, and then time goes by, and you realise that like while some teams like Kilkenny and Kerry, to be fair, you know, do win every year, every couple of years. Some teams, you get one shot. So if you got one shot at pitch invasion because your team has won the All-Ireland, you better fucking take it. Oh, I wholeheartedly oh, yeah. agree. If, if Waterford ever won, which, uh, again, I also don't really support winning teams except for Liverpool, um, yeah, we would 100% invade the shit out of that pitch. Um, I don't know if you saw the... Uh, oh, God, I can't even remember the team, but it was a kind of a viral pick going around the last week of... Um, a chap playing some sort of county final or something and uh, he's sitting you know he's kind of squatting on the pitch looking defeatist and his little child is next to him and he put it up on Twitter himself the picture um, and it's a true story uh, did we did we lose daddy yes Fionn it's okay daddy people lose sometimes thanks Fionn do you have any jellies no Fionn <laughs> <laughs> yeah I saw that it was very cute it is actually quite cute um, and here they are the pop stars of the future 
well, kind of, um, except for Nadine Coyle, um, or as we recently discovered, Nadine. Um, she, she loses her place in six, which means she won't be on the cover of the phone book that year. Um, she lies about her date of birth, claiming she was 18 when in fact she was 17. Um, at least the rest of the band were nice enough to wave her off. What was that? They're all standing there waving goodbye like and poor Nadine just had the most traumatic experience of her life getting booted off a show live on telly and all the lads are there. Bye! This was <laughs> a huge drama. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, like, this was so big. I remember this. I think this Pop Stars was on in the, in, I feel like it was on in the winter maybe coming up to Christmas and because uh, I think they were trying to, you know, weren't all the same with X Factor, don't they always try and release like the Christmas number one or whatever, but uh, this was, I remember this being such a drama but like what a win for Nadine Coyle, like oh, yeah. getting out of six and within a couple of months she was in Girls Aloud on the British Pop Stars and look where she went from there, obviously became a massive a massive pop star. Um, oh yeah. In her, in her own right whereas like six fair enough that song that we hear which by the way sticks in your head oh yeah uh, I fucking had in my head all day um, you know they had that big hit with that but they disbanded like within the year because I, I, no one seems to know why um, did, they not, did, did they not get on I don't know but they just they just had a song and then it was like they had no plan afterwards it was like what are we going to do with the, this band like nobody likes bands that are made up of men and women yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one because, like I said, I made a joke about her being on the cover of the phone book, but that was it. Six were on the cover of Aircom phone book, I would say, that year, maybe not the next year. Um, and am I, am I wrong in saying, did they go to the Eurovision or did they get that arseways? No, they didn't <clears> go to the Eurovision. No, they didn't. We hadn't got that bright idea of sending the winner of the show to the Eurovision yet. Obviously, it became mm. Eurostar, but, uh, but yeah. no, at the time. they but, just they, But they got this song and they, they that went like, they were, did it say 18 weeks? I think they were at number one or something like that, like something huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is nuts, but you know what? I don't understand, right? First of all, I thought this song was a cover, but it's not. And like, so the song itself, right? Yes, it's catchy. The whole lot of love and the chorus is catchy. I don't know if you caught uh, the, the the kind of verses, right? But like, it's a bit unusual for an Irish band to be singing this kind of stuff, like bigger than the Mississippi River and the ocean, wider than the desert and the Utah sky and like the Hoover Dam and corners of kentucky taller than the california redwoods like why are you singing it you're from cabra like why are you singing about this shit that was merch cabra none of these people are from cabra well no i don't know maybe they were maybe they I weren't mean, i don't know i know been... i mean know the the the, the is it emma uh, the the, the was on the den long blonde hair she became a tv presenter she's definitely not from dublin and uh, I think one of the one of the guys actually I know for a fact one of the guys went on to become a manager like an agent for oh. pop stars and managed Jedward. Really? Don't know Please. which one it was. I remember seeing. I think it's the dark haired guy. Because uh, I remember they 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 did this documentary with Jedward or like they followed them around for a couple of days or whatever. And there's Tim Searman's in the background and it's he's in he's from the north I think. But um, but yeah, one of them. Um, but yeah, I also very much this this performance that we see of the song "Oh, Lot of Loving" is clearly probably on the late late because that's where all these clips come from usually. Yeah, um, and they're so clearly miming; they're so bad at miming, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like the, the guy is singing; he's not even holding the microphone near his mouth. Yeah, no, you're right. He's not the impossibly good-looking blonde one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> they also they're just they look like a really bad Christian rock group wearing like all white and stuff. 
Like it was just so like I don't know. Like, you know when you see these things like you know singing like singing all about love. It's almost like you know all about love. He's my savior. Yeah, you know what? Um, you're you're dead right actually, Simon. It is the um. So Liam McKenna is the guy's name, and he was a member of Six, and he is actually um yeah he was Jedward's manager. So there you go. There's a there's your connection. That's a nice little nice little segue there. Nice little tidbit. Maybe a future pop quiz. Who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah, there you go. That's another useless fact that I can chalk down. If I could monetize all these useless facts in my brain, they're usually sports related. This one is not, but uh, <laughs> sports, yeah. finance, and six. There you go. Yeah, six. Big <laughs> finance. I did have this five. single. Like, what age was I here? Twelve. I definitely. I had this single. I vividly remember this this single on oh, CD. Um, Everybody, I think, had it. I don't remember what the B side a... was, but there was a B side, which was oh, probably God. terrible. Oh, probably that song. But on a side note, though, I know we mentioned the the Euro collector. I remember phone books. Yeah, they still dole them out. I I often have to once a year. I'll, I'll pick it up. Yeah, once a year, my 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 like I'll go to my well, I go to my dad's house often, but once a year, I'll I'll rock up to my dad's house and it's there sitting there. I imagine fuck all people use it. But I was uh, wondering, like, mm. do you get one if you have a landline? Because I'm so I don't know, we don't have I a landline think here, but you like. Do. I think you do. Yeah, mm. we 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 don't have an online either, but uh, yeah, I think I think you do. They're kind of like free newspapers; they just kind of show up every so often. Mm. Yeah, forget about them. It's probably a lot smaller than it was. A lot of people don't have landlines anymore. That's true. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I remember the last one we got. Uh, last, I vaguely remember the last one I picked up was absolutely tiny. Like it was smaller than the UN's investigation into nuclear weapons. Um, <laughs> and uh, the lastly, in Donegal, recently uh, and newly MBE Daniel O'Donnell gets married as um, the largest gathering of old women since the relics of Saint Teresa last year uh, occurs. Uh, Daniel, in classic fashion, stops his interview to say hello to Maureen. Like <laughs> that was just such a classic that was incredible because Magellan's <laughs> talking and like he just completely interrupts her. Oh, hello there! My God, what a man! As I always like, say, what a, just what a, see the woman handing him a present from like, the crowd. Yeah. yeah, this really nice wrap box. I'm like, this is this is what I was talking about. Obviously, when I was talking about the, the scene lifted directly from Father Ted, like the invasion of the nearly dead. This is literally like taken. Apart from the fact it's at a wedding instead of at the parochial house <laughs> this is essentially the same scene or the same episode uh for with Owen McLove right yeah it, it is verbatim really like it would have been only made better if Daniel O'Donnell just went I have no willy or just started, yeah. eating, just started <laughs> well I suppose his jar. his version of that is ah how are you Maureen thanks for coming yeah, I like this is long before he was a kid, you know, he, he's not a registered gas installer or before he appeared on uh, what was that? Was it Homes Under the Hammer, whatever the hell it's called, with Dermot Bannon? Um, and that infamous episode, or that you know, himself and Magella going around the country. Like, I mean, look, he mm. seems to be a genuine bloke and a nice man, but at yeah. the same time, he's just like I always say, what has 80 tits and no teeth? The front row of a Daniel O'Donnell concert. You know, it'd be weird being a sex symbol for women over the age of seven. Yeah, he's definitely but, playing um, into, but he's nearly there himself now. He's nearly there now. Yeah, but I mean, that's what I wondered, right? Because obviously, like you know, people like Daniel O'Donnell. We first saw him, I think, in the mid in a mid eighties episode. Didn't we see him singing a song? Yeah. yeah, with the mullet, right? So I mean, like if he was if he was around then, like someone who was seventy then probably dead right uh let's be honest oh, yeah. so but there are now 70 year olds who probably still love them, but they wouldn't have loved them in 1980 because they would only have been 
what 30 40 so yeah. like you know when do you mm. become is it like is 70 the marker when do these women yeah, become yeah. when you get your boss pass yeah, yeah. i was gonna say that i think they handed out side by side but um i thought the best part of this was at the end when you saw daniel and o'donnell in the limo he's like oh yeah i'm so happy i can't believe i was like this is a hostage statement <laughs> he just looked like he was been forced to say this i was like oh i'm so happy i i can't believe how lucky I am. And it just drives away. It's almost like, you see him like looking with his eyes going, help me. Yeah, blink twice. Um, <laughs> and actually, it's, it's very reminiscent of Gay Byrne's wedding as well. Like a big, huge Irish celebrity wedding, which I think we, what was that, 1963, four? What yeah, that might have been just, maybe just after Alex's episodes. Yeah, I, I remember that mm. one. All right, We saw Terry Wogan's wedding as well in one of the episodes. Yeah, they kind of gave up on celebrity weddings after that. It couldn't get any bigger until Daniel's. Yeah, well, I like that they started and ended this episode with a wedding because we had Paul McCartney at the start and then Donald Trump at the end. Yes. And it, this is this is very much when we talk about the style of the Reeling in the Years episodes, Kieran, you'll notice like obviously this one was made a bit later in twenty in twenty ten, and um, this series, so it's it's a later series than than when the other ones were made in in the late nineties, and um, it's very diff like style wise it's very knowing you know there's a lot of know there'll be a lot oh, of knowing yeah. references we saw some last week with charlie mccreevy and stuff and this like it's all very deliberate whereas you feel like the first couple of series were kind of not thrown together but a bit more haphazard this is all very planned out we're going to start with a wedding and end with a wedding we'll have you know they've got the segments that are really sad actually very little of that in this episode but last week we had a big chunk of the middle which was like deaths and stuff like that it's all very planned out you know so we the, having the wedding at the start and the end was very uh was very uh, interesting we're going to end an episode and i think it's 2004 with another uh, celebrity wedding but we'll uh, we'll tease that one for the next couple of weeks um and uh, with that we bring 2002 to a close um so usually what we'll do now is we'll go around and discuss that if we were to bring any three people from tonight's episode to a dinner party who would they be and why so just to give alex a bit of a flavor because i don't know if we did this on the first episode but i'll go ahead simon who would you pick three people from tonight's episode to bring around who would they be and why Okay, so um, this episode had a lot of small stories and then just one or two big ones. Um, but so it was kind of hard because we didn't we didn't get to spend a lot of time with the characters. Uh, so I toyed with the idea of bringing Pat Cox, but I just feel like I would just laugh at him all the yeah. time at his name. And um, he'd be trying to hug me, and you know I just I'd just be laughing at his name because it just wouldn't work. So I, I decided against bringing Pat, and I decided to bring Roy Keane. Now nice. I mentioned earlier in the show that you know people in the anti Roy camp were usually people who didn't like Man United. I obviously fall into that category. Uh, I very much don't like them. I remember my dad being vehemently anti Roy Keane all through his career, but particularly uh, at this point. But I brought Mick McCarthy last week for getting us to the World Cup. So I don't want to bring Mick again. Uh, so I'm going to bring Roy. Uh, I think that'd be fun. Mm. And he's very engaging, Roy Keane. Like, and you hear him interviewed now and stuff, and obviously just the whole the punditry and stuff like that, which he's always uh, box yeah. office. We, you know, he's done like he did off the ball a couple of years ago with Gary Neville, and he, he did a few, he's done a few other kind of, you know, he's talked at, at length about Saipan, and I think we can all, as an adult, you can understand what he wanted was just the best. You know, he could he just, yeah. he just couldn't get his head around how everyone wasn't on the same page of just wanting to win it and therefore doing everything you could to win it and just kind of not being happy to be there. So I really respect that. So I actually respect Roy Keane a lot more than I did when I was 12 uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, as a Leeds fan, not a big fan of his. So uh, I'll bring Roy Keane. The second person I'm going to bring is the person who pied Michael Noonan. <laughs> yeah. I know it's cheating a bit because you don't actually see the person, but you know, um we're gonna we're gonna bring them uh, even though I, and also that would give me an opportunity to meet someone from Leitrim, right? 
There you go. That's just occurred to me. So there you go. We're killing two birds at one stone. So I get to meet someone from Leitrim and they pie Michael Noonan. I, again, don't actually have anything against Michael Noonan. He, but, you know, you got to laugh at someone who pies someone in the face. Uh, so going to bring him in. And then I toyed with the, with the third person. Obviously, Daniel O'Donnell featured twice, but he gives me the creeps. I can't. He just, he's always giving me the creeps. I don't know why. As you said, I'm sure he's a nice guy. So I decided to bring Nadine Coyle um, because I think having... Roy Keane with his very strong Cork accent and Nadine Coyle with, his, with her very strong Derry accent, uh, that would be interesting to hear them talk and I'd just sit back and let it happen. So uh, so uh, it's going to bring Nadine. Uh, before, sorry, just because you said you would bring the, the pie thrower. So I had Googled this on my internet. I just loaded back up. So I actually just opened my phone to see it on the page. So before we go to Alex, I would like to just say uh, that the name uh, of the person who um, threw the pie at uh, Michael Noonan. So they don't, I don't think they actually give her name here, but apparently at the time she was five months pregnant um, and she describes herself as ag- uh, Agent Anani Moose, as in the animal, Moose. Uh, <laughs> and it says here, the first line of it um, says, the pregnant woman who threw a dipping custard pie at Fine Gael leader Michael Noonan in Boyle County, Roscommon. Oh. I was lied to. On Tuesday, had originally planned a similar assault on Ray McSherry. Um, <laughs> oh, well, I'm definitely bringing her to dinner then. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so there we go. We've confused Leitrim with Roscommon twice. <laughs> poor, people, <laughs> poor people of Leitrim. What have they done? Um, but uh, yeah, so Alex, if you were to bring three people from tonight's episode to a dinner party, who would they be and why? Three people from tonight's episode to a dinner party. I think the first one I'll go with is someone that we mentioned very briefly. I'll try and go with three different people to yourself, okay? So I'm going to go with three different people all together. Um, I would bring Aoife from Treasure Island. Because ah, she is taking no message. If someone's order is wrong, she's sorting it out. She does There's no like messing around her. I feel like she would be like the Roy Keane of the dinner party. You have Roy Keane at your dinner party. I think she'd be the Roy Keane of this dinner party. I think nice. there would be absolutely no messing around. I think the second person I would want to bring would be the Garda, who pointed <laughs> out the licenses are essential. Because I think it would be a wonderful conversation. Like I think it would be like you'd be there and you'd be and you'd just be pointing out the most ridiculous stuff. It'd be like um dinner oh, essential God, for you a know, dinner party. Uh, what, exactly. Yeah, what did you order out? So I ordered the steak. Oh, uh, that that sounds good to have meat. <laughs> and uh I think the third person I would love to invite just because I would hang out with him would be Jerry Adams. Just just because. Come on, Jerry. Let's go to a dinner party. And uh, you can talk about your cookbook. You might even get up and start cooking a few meals. That would be pretty cool. That would actually be have Jerry Adams. I think that would shape. be uh, quite a cool... I think that would be quite a cool evening. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Aoife, the Garda, and uh, Jerry Adams. Well, as long as when he's cutting the onions, he says, choppy or law. Um... <laughs> Um, my three people for the evening would be Big Ian because I'll take any opportunity to have that man at a dinner party just to hear him shout and give out um, I would invite the bride who was accosted on the street by Bertie Ahern and a greasy other smiley man just because she poor woman's been traumatised I feel like she needs a good meal and a drink after that sure. 
Um, and then I would bring Daniel O'Donnell just because, I mean, the best way to describe the man is harmless. So, I mean, he couldn't be, a, you know, he, he wouldn't be, a, he'd be a non-offensive guest to bring. Um, so that is going to do it for our, our roundup of 2002 as we wind down here. Um, great episode. Great. It was a great, great discussing all the ins and outs from the World Cup travesty to dirty politicians and, and back again. Um, and uh, and name and shaming people from Leitrim or Roscommon, whichever way you look at it. Um, so before we head away, make sure that you check out our Twitter page uh, at R-I-Y-E podcast where and uh, every episode will be released every Saturday at 8pm so if you're listening to this now hopefully it's Saturday at 8pm because you're waiting up in excitement like a child on Christmas so before we head away I just want to say a huge thank you once again to Mr Alex J Byrne for joining us who will be back again next week but until then thank you so much for coming on this week No happy to be here man absolute pleasure and uh, you know like I said I was on for the first couple of episodes I'm glad you guys are still going glad to see the show's doing well and uh, yeah I really appreciate you guys having me back it's been a lot of fun it certainly has and long may it continue and uh, of course a big thank you as always to Simon Chadwick for helping me along this week thank you very much Kieran and thank you Alex and uh, as always to you who is out there listening uh, thank you as always and be sure to listen in and follow us on Twitter again that Twitter page is at R-I-Y-E podcast so thank you very much have a good weekend and as always keep on reading